0: If you have recently joined our worship service, welcome. I'm so glad that you're tuning in. My name is David Rudy, and I'm the pastor here at Doxa Church. So if this is literally your first time, maybe, or maybe even the last couple times, but I've never personally met you, I would love to hear from you. So could you right now just comment on the platform that you're watching this And just say your name and where you're watching this from. I think that would be great to hear from you. And you don't have to do that. If you wanted to just direct message us, you can do that as well. Um, That's really the only way we've been communicating anymore is through technology. So we all know the drill. But I'm so grateful to have you in our service. And now is a better time than ever to find a church that can help you get to know Jesus better. So we're going to now... Open up the word of God and let him speak to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as I look at these words of scripture and as I communicate them, may you do a mighty, mighty work through it. I know we're watching this in an unconventional way, but Lord, speak to us through the message that you have for us. Convict us and change us, Lord. That's what we desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We're in a series. We just started this last week. It's a new series called Greater Love. You can see it right there. It's about the most compelling love this world has ever known, the love of Jesus Christ that drove him to the cross. So when we started this series last week, we were in Luke chapter 9. And in Luke 9, Jesus was at the peak of his popularity. He had just droves of people following him everywhere he went, listening to him, teach about the kingdom of God, watch him perform miracles. Everything was going so great. But in Luke 9, the tone starts to shift. Jesus actually did something there that changed everything. Luke 9, we saw this last week, he set his eyes towards Jerusalem. And Jesus knew, even though no one else did, that as he was walking towards Jerusalem this one last time, he was going to give his life on the cross. He was going to sacrifice his very life and give it as a ransom for the sins of all of mankind. So Jesus is raising the intensity now. And a lot of the casual people that had been following him because it was the fun thing to do and it looked great and it was fun, those people are starting to get called out. All those casual people. And Jesus pointed out four specific ways from Luke 9 that people choose other stuff in this world over himself and how wrong that was. Now in Luke 10, Jesus is going to pick up the urgency in another way. This is going to be in a specific action that we are going to see today. And he is calling his followers to pick up this action as he walks towards Jerusalem. Now, I want to tell you this right now, right before we dive in. This is a narrative, and in this story, there are really three main sections, and each one of those sections build off the next one. So we aren't going to really understand what's going on by the end of this unless we get the beginning down first, and they all connect to each other. So let's read the first piece of this story and see what Jesus wants us to do. Luke 10, starting in verse 1, we're going to read all the way "'Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, "'and greet no one on the road. "'Whatever house you enter, first say, "'Peace be to this house. "'And if a son of peace is there, "'your peace will rest upon him. "'But if not, it will return to you. "'And remain in the same house, "'eating and drinking what they provide, "'for the laborer deserves his wages.'" Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this. That the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? you shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Here's what we're supposed to do. Jesus made it very clear. And there's a lot going on in those first 16 verses. We are gonna unpack that. But the big idea is this. Number one is our first point. Go and show the glory of God. Go and show the glory of God. So Jesus sends out 72 in pairs, two by two. It's very practical. You could just say right there, never try to live this Christian life alone. Never try to be solo. It's brutal if you try to do that alone. You need a wing person. You need multiple people supporting you. And Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So, question for you, right off the bat. Do you think Christians out there that are not pulling their weight for the harvest? What do you think? I mean, do I need even need to give you an answer to that question? I know some of us are feeling like, wow, this just started. And I just got a quick jab into the ribs. It's a question that only you can answer about yourself. Am I just along for the ride? Or, you know, am I just fitting Jesus into my life wherever it feels right, not too much, not too little? Or am I getting after it? Am I going after the harvest? Right now, in the season that we're in in life, you can text people, you can call people. Um, you, we can be very intentional with how we interact with people. Just ask them how they are holding up. How are you doing? Start a conversation that can lead into you sharing the hope and the peace that you have in Jesus Christ. And I know many of the people in our church are the laborers. I I love that about our church. We have people who serve consistently. They're reaching out, they're following up with people. You are participating in the Love Your Neighbor campaign where we are exchanging goods and then we're taking stuff out to deliver it to people. We're loving our community right now. We have laborers in our church, and I love that. I'm thankful for you. But we all have to do our part. And if we don't do our part, the church is going to feel it. And if we do actually do our part, our church is going to maximize its impact for the kingdom. But did you catch the first thing that they were going to do in verse 2? The very first thing that they were to do is they were to go out and show the glory of God He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Before you go, pray. And as you are going, pray that the Lord will bring more laborers into the field to bring out his harvest. And we cannot skip this first step. We just can't afford to do it. If you're frustrated at what other people are doing or what other people are not doing, don't worry about them. Worry about yourself. And then just simply pray for them. God has something that he's working through them and all you can do here is first pray. Now, the next part of this, this whole charge that Jesus is giving them is a little puzzling, right? As lambs go out in the midst of wolves, (laughs) You don't have to be a a historian and and a shepherd from the ancient Middle East to understand that that doesn't sound great, right? I mean, how is that supposed to work? I mean, sheep are going to get slaughtered by the wolves of this world unless they have a shepherd that they're depending on, unless there's a power that's outside of their control. If they stick closer to the shepherd, then sure, they can go out. But as you go out to show the glory of God with your life, with your words, with your actions, you have to stay close to your Savior. You aren't going out as an aggressor. You're going out as a lamb. And what this means is the next few verses really make it clear. Look at verse four. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. So the way, the posture and the specific uh, attitude and way we do go out is with this attitude of peace. Go in peace. First pray and then go in peace. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we aren't advancing. When Jesus described his church for the very first time to Peter. He said to him, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When you, when you think about that scenario, okay, who's on offense and who's on defense? Well, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So the, the, the gates of hell are the defensive posture. And the church is advancing, and we're going to triumph over that. We're going to crush it and roll right over that. That's what will happen with the church of Jesus Christ. But what Jesus is teaching here is the posture on how we are to advance forward. And it's upside down from the way the world usually operates. The world says you need to be flashy to make a splash. You need to be bold and confident to go out there and be a strong leader. Jesus says... Go out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And that's not going to work unless the lambs are dependent on their savior, their shepherd, unless they have a power that's bigger than themselves that they are relying on and fully depending on, which we actually do have in our savior, Jesus Christ. So that's the third component of this, going and showing the glory of God. You also have to go independence and to take it another step further, These witnesses are also going out, and they are depending upon other sons of peace. You saw that in verse 6 and 7, right? Eat and drink from what they provide. And then we have this phrase, the laborer deserves his wages. And in some translations, that's translated, the laborer is worthy of his hire. That's the same phrase that's repeated in 1 Timothy 5 when it's talking about paying your pastors. And that same phrase goes all the way back to the book of Leviticus, where we see the principle of the Levites, the the ones who led in worship with their vocation, being provided for by the giving of God's people. There is nothing wrong with a missionary or a pastor or someone in full-time vocational ministry being provided for by other people. We can't forget that. And I'm so thankful that our church gets that. And many of you have stepped up your giving even in the last couple weeks as our world economy is really cradling and shaking right now. I heard someone put it this way just this week. I am lowering the curve on the coronavirus, but I'm steepening the curve on generosity. Think about that. Think about that. the way that person looks at their finances and looks at their resources. That's a person who gets it. You know, we have these these stimulus checks coming for to, to help people recover financially. And some people really need that. And I think that's that's awesome that that's happening. Uh, other people are still working. I mean, you have more hours than you've ever had before. And you don't necessarily need that money right now to survive with your family. A person who's thinking about giving generously and steepening their impact for the kingdom of God and loving others and loving their neighbors They're going to think about ways they can give their check back to those in need. They can give a portion of that back to the church who is advancing the kingdom of God. But as we go out, know that you are going to have to depend on others. You cannot do this alone. We need each other. God's wired us that way. So let's never be ashamed of that. Don't pretend that you don't need that. It's very practical, but this is reality. Don't kid yourself into thinking that you can go out alone and live off the land forever. You can't. We will all burn out if that's the way we go. And there's one more element to the way that we are to go and show the glory of God. And it's described in verses 10 through 16. It's this one. Go in confidence. All right. Do you see the confidence that was there? These lambs are going out in the midst of the wolves. But they're not even afraid, right? Shaking the dust off their feet. Jesus says that the one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects me, the one that rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. They are going in peace. They are going in dependence. But they have a boldness that's not emanating from themselves. It's coming from Jesus Christ. And this is so true. If you are rejected because of what you're telling someone about Jesus, they're not rejecting you. They are rejecting our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a very grave thing. It's a very serious thing. But that's the reality. And as we go and show the glory of God, that should give you freedom. That should open you up to be yourself. You literally have nothing to lose. And thinking about it in these terms makes us unshakable. It makes us confident when we present the truth of who Jesus is. Think about it this way. Uh, When you put yourself out there and you make a piece of art or maybe you write a book, and we have a lot of artists and creative people in our church. I love that about our church. I've I've talked with some of you about this. It's a very nerve-wracking thing because if you're making this piece of art and you're putting it out there, what if somebody thinks it's ugly? What if somebody gets out there and makes a nasty comment about it? You put in all this work, all this labor, and they just dismiss it, and they just don't care. That's not an easy place to be. Uh, props to you for going out there and being an entrepreneur, starting something, putting yourself out there, alone. Here's the thing with the gospel, though. This isn't just all on you. You are representing Jesus Christ. And if you just feel like it's just your thing, sure, that's very rattling. I'm really glad for the people who do stick their neck out there and they get better and they do hard things. That's another way to show the glory of God. But when we witness and we testify about what Jesus has done to us, we can be fearless because we're sharing the gospel. And if they reject it, they're rejecting God. And you have nothing to lose. So let's all get out there. Go out and tell people how God has changed your life. Tell people, I'm not afraid of the coronavirus. And this is because Jesus is my hope and my peace. It's not in my health. And I could lose my health, but I would go to a better place. And very, very few people think that way that don't know Jesus Christ. Truly, we have something in Christ that most people don't have. And it's radically different from the the regular thinking of most people out there. But that's what we are to do. We are to go and show the glory of God. Now, Jesus isn't done here because the next piece of this narrative, Jesus is about to explain where this motivation comes from and what our reaction should be to that. So look at verse 17 with me. They're stoked. They're back. And they're like, I can't believe this. Even the demons are subject to us by the power of your name. This is amazing. We're casting out demons. I mean, and how would you feel if you had that power and the authority to do that? You were actually accomplishing it. I mean, we would all be pretty, pretty excited. I can't believe this. Now, I have heard people who read this section of scripture about Jesus and they have a really hard time with it. Uh, they just don't understand Jesus' response at all they think it sounds off the wall but demons are real Satan is real and Jesus is confirming that right now that's all that's going on and, and to take it a step further Jesus response is he's basically telling them all right I'm excited for you <laughs> but settle down all right let's let's act like we've been there before all right I've seen Satan fall down from heaven like lightning. Jesus was there before this world was ever even created, okay? Jesus knew Satan before he was Satan. He knew him before he was a fallen angel. He knew him when his name was Lucifer. And and none of this stuff surprises Jesus. This is hard to understand if you're one of those people who casually likes the provides you like the stories that sound good to you but you don't look at him like the God of creation who created you and who knows you by name. If you don't look at Jesus that way, you're going to have a hard time understanding this. And Jesus is acknowledging, yes, I gave you this power, power over the enemy, and you can do great things with it. But nevertheless, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And this is the second point, all right? All right. Rejoice in salvation, not the benefits of salvation. Do you see how this is what Jesus is saying? Of course these men and women were excited. But Jesus is like, don't rejoice in that. That is a side bonus benefit of the greatest gift. And I'm I, I'm reminded of the late Stuart Scott, what he would say, uh, cooler than the other side of the pillow. That's the way Jesus is about this whole thing. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice in the gospel. Don't get over that. That's a whole, whole lot better than the fact that you have this ability now to cast out demons. And here's the thing. If we make the main thing, the thing that we're excited about, all the blessings and the perks, what is going to happen when those things fade away? What's going to happen when we go through a rainy day like we're going through right now? Well, you're going to get scared. There's going to be people who get depressed. If we elevate anything, even the good gifts of our relationship with God over our salvation, we have lost our first love. And we're headed in a very, very bad place. Don't love the gifts more than the giver of the gifts. You've heard that phrase, right? Don't love the gift more than the giver? Jesus Christ gave us salvation. And this illustration is gonna pale in comparison, but think about it this way. You were gifted a luxury Lexus, a brand new, amazing, fine ride. It's a Lexus Motor Company, peak of the line vehicle, right? And you you love that car, but you're so preoccupied with the temperature-controlled leather seats. That's the only thing you really think about, talk about, and you just gravitate towards that. And you do that so much to the extent that you miss the fact that somebody just gifted you this car. And you never deserved it. And you don't, you, you, you don't really even know what to do with it. Okay? You've been gifted a gift that's way bigger than the benefit and the side bonus. And the gift of salvation is that good. It makes the power to cast out demons look like a temperature controlled side bonus. And this happens to people more than you think. We rejoice in the benefits of salvation more than the gift of salvation itself. It's a temptation for every Christian to rest in the riches of life that happen when we invest in the kingdom to get wrapped up in the comfort of friendships and enjoy the blessings of life that happen when we follow God's plan and his principles for our life. If we do that, our life is going to go so much more better according to plan. And people can really soak in those blessings and elevate those to the point that you lose focus in the fact that you have been given a gift that you don't deserve, your salvation. And when we lose that and we miss that, we don't see our first love. What happens is we lose our motivation to share that with others. This is what happens every time. So rejoice in salvation over the benefits of salvation. And now here's where it gets really, really interesting. Jesus is about to take this even a step further, one step deeper, we have seen the what, we have seen the why and the how. And now in this final piece, Jesus is going to share what he's rejoicing over. And what he's rejoicing over is actually who. It's the who in this passage. So let's look at verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see." For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The third point today is live in gratitude for God's gracious will. That is the response. And I've I've noticed over the years about this specific passage that people really focus on the whole children's side of it. And a lot of times, you, they'll just see, you have hidden these things from the wise understanding and revealed them to little children. And they just completely remove that from its context. And they just say, hey, look, see, Jesus loves little children. And that is 100% true. That is laced throughout the New Testament in the Gospels when we see Jesus Christ. But we can't lose what's really going on in this story and isolate this and make it into a standalone story about little kids. Because what does verse 21 says? say? It says, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said this. Luke is making it very clear that this is part of this exact story, all right? And Jesus has said what to do. He's telling us how to do it. And he's thrilled about the people who God has called to go and show the glory of God. Those people are you and me. He's rejoicing over us, all of us who have a relationship with God. Look at this next verse here. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now, the question I have, and that maybe you have right now, well, wait, where are the kids then? Why is he saying little children? Does anybody see any little kids in this story? Did Jesus send out 72 third graders? <laughs> I mean, do they have like, when they have this knapsack and carry no money bag, I mean, it like, don't bring your lunch money and don't carry your, your fancy Nancy backpack. No. This is not talking about kids, so who is he talking about here? If it's not childlike faith, who is this about? It's the 72 men and women adults who are following Jesus that Jesus sent out. These are a group of messy fishermen, former zealots, former tax collectors. These are rough people. And Jesus is rejoicing that you have hidden this stuff from the wise and the educated, and you've revealed it to these ones, these little children. You've made them your children. And in this day and age, specifically, the religious establishment would have hand-selected all the brightest and and, and best kids, and they would have put them in very intellectual, rigorous training courses. You know, that's why you see Paul, who is a brilliant brilliant mind he had a much different upbringing than peter very much different but they both met jesus he changed both of their lives he brought them together and they worked in the same team for the same cause the cause of jesus christ but these people these 72 are not the sharpest knives in the drawer of the intellectual elite and throughout the whole ministry of jesus they prove that to be true right I hope you see yourself in this. Now, this is not for the cocky. This is not a a prideful thing that's going to puff you up. It's not. But you were lost. You were hopeless. You were in your sin. And that's when Jesus came after you and found you and saved you. I hope that gets your blood pumping. And in verse 23, There's more here about us. He turns to the disciples and he says privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see that and they did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is such good news for all of us today. You don't have to be super gifted. You don't have to have every answer to every question to go out and show the glory of God. And to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's purely the gracious will of God that your blind eyes see right now. It's the mercy of God that you have heard the truth and received the truth. Praise God for that. We are all flawed, but it doesn't matter. And Jesus is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit over the gracious will of God that saved sinners like you and me. Can we all thank him for that right now? We should be living in humble gratitude for God's grace that is greater than our sin. Think about that for a second. Your sin is is pretty bad, pretty grave. God's grace is greater. And he sought you out. He hunted you down. And he saved you so that he could send you out, just like he's sending me 72. In and of ourselves, Christians, we have to understand this. We are not morally better than the next person. We are not. All we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We aren't chosen because we were good people we are redeemed out of the slavery of sin by the grace and the mercy of God. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's the truth of the gospel. We can't ever forget that. Because if we do, we're not gonna go out as a lamb anymore, right? We're gonna go out as a person who's like, I got it figured out. You need to get on board on my thing, straighten up and do right and get on my train. How does that come across to the wolves of this world, to the lost people who don't have it? It's a turnoff. You see that? You and I are these same little ones, a son and a daughter who has been chosen to see and to reveal who Jesus really is and what he's done. That's what verse 22 is saying. And we're going out as a lamb. We're going out in confident dependence, in prayer, in boldness in the fact that, hey, this doesn't rest on me. This is Jesus Christ. I'm telling you about what Jesus Christ has done for me. A witness is someone who testifies to what they have seen and heard. They stand before others and they speak out about what happened to them in their experience. And they share that by opening their mouth. You can tell people what you were like before Jesus, You can tell people how Jesus changed your life, how he came into your life and how he orchestrated all of that. And then you can share a third component, how your life is now different now than it ever was before because of what Jesus did. That's being a witness. That is what sharing your testimony is all about. And that's what Jesus has called you to do. He's called every single one of us to do that. So that means we need to go out. We need to invite people to church. We need to share why we have hope, why we have peace. We have to open our mouths and share our story. That's your testimony. And that's why we are set, to go and show the glory of God. If you have never met Jesus Christ where you're at right now, If you don't know him as your savior, don't let anything hold you back from doing that. What it takes to start a relationship with God, to be saved and have salvation, this whole thing that we've been talking about today, it takes you confessing your sin. God, I'm sorry. I was living my life doing it my way, going going for my passions, my desires. I was living it, my life, my way. I am sorry that I rejected you, my creator, and I pushed aside the plan that you had for my life. Now I confess that and I turn to you and I look to Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross. He sacrificed his very life. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of my sins and by grace through faith, accept that. Believe what Jesus Christ did, repent of your sin and turn to him And you too can have exactly what we're seeing here. You can have a relationship with God in a new life. Would you do that today? You can do that right now. For those of us who know Jesus, nothing should be more compelling. For those of us who aren't sure yet, believe me, this is the most beautiful, powerful love you could ever know. It will change the way you love. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you interact with everyone. Not to mention the way you will handle a crisis that our country is going through right now. We all need Jesus. And once we find him, we all need to go out into the fields that are white and ready to harvest. And we need to be a laborer. We need to be someone who simply proclaims the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Go and show the glory of God.